Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's very special guest episode is called Does Free Will Exist with Bill Real? Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. Today, I've got a special guest, got Bill Real. And the reason I wanted to bring him on is in a recent episode where he had Kara on Mormonism Live, they brought up the subject of free will. And it got my mind thinking, I sent Bill a couple of my thoughts. And it was this uh, conversation that I wanted to have to flesh out if there is a space for free will in this causal determined world, what would that look like? So I, I wanted to bring Bill on so that we could chat about it. Yeah. And I think it's a big deal, Scott, because um, religion in general, and certainly the the system that you and I came from Mormonism, um, it imposes, right? There's agency and agency is free agency. I think they've taken the word free off of it in the last few decades and yeah. just want to call it agency, which also may indicate that they are somewhat aware that maybe agency isn't completely free, but agency in general is crucial to Mm -hmm. religious, uh, a religious framework. Because Mm -hmm. if, if we aren't really making active choices, then it would be crazy for God to punish us for doing only what we could do in each moment. Exactly. And there's, there's a lot of implications about punishment, the afterlife, um, and even God's omniscience, if, you know, let's say free will does exist. If God knows the actions that we're going to make already, what's the point of this whole earth probation? If we're going to use the vernacular of right. Mormonism, right? It's, it's almost as if, if there is no free will, if there is no, if we get to the end of this conversation and people go, yep, there's no free will, then we really are doing Satan's plan, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've actually written an outline for this. There's, um, I think based on some of these implications, there's an argument to be made that, that the plan of salvation as presented is the opposite of Satan's plan, where the end goal is as many people suffering as possible instead of as many people being saved as possible. Almost no Satan's, one makes it. Exactly. Satan's plan, everybody makes it and there's no free will. Yeah. But if free will doesn't exist anyway, and the plan is to get every, you know, almost everybody is going to suffer anyway. Yeah. Like it's almost just the opposite plan. Anyway. Yeah. And, and there is a lot of suffering. There is. There is yeah. a lot of suffering. Yeah. All right. So um, the, a couple of definitions that I wanted to um, throw out there before we get going too far. Um, and this is just kind of an overview on free will. There's a couple of um, camps that people will stand in. Um, libertarianism, not the political party. That's the view that, um, that like this causal deterministic world is not the case. It's not the reality that we're living in and free will exists and everything around us is a result of that free will. So that would be what people call libertarianism. Again, not the political party. 
um, then the opposite view would be determinism. And this is the camp that uh, that you and Kara were describing in your chat and that we've kind of briefly explored. And that um, is basically the theory that everything in this universe is causal. So one thing leads to another. And that includes humans. That includes our thoughts and our actions. And so we are not outside of that causal reality. We are part of this causal existence. Then <clears throat> there's a third camp that's um, sometimes called soft determinism or compatibilism. Most people refer to it as compatibilism, but it's the view that, yes, everything's determined, but that's not incompatible with this concept of free will. It just looks different than what were typically presented. And there's a rich history of philosophers talking about this that go back a long time. I mean, um, Hume, uh, Kant, Schopenhauer, I mean, all of these like big name philosophers from the seven, you know, from, um, they, they discussed this concept and they were trying to, to grapple with this very idea. They recognized that the world we live in is, is determined. And then where do we fit into that sort of a spectrum? Um, because the way we, perceive our existence we have the feeling that we have control we we experience this feeling that we're making choices at the minimum it's the illusion of free will right exactly exactly yeah. and so so it, the debate is like is that illusion or is that feeling that we have is it real or is it something that's just in our heads and if yeah. it is real like what does that look like um with regards to to the to the reality of nature yeah. And I want to add too. I mean, uh, there's a whole spectrum of ways in which this could work that people have, uh, have, you know, added their view of philosophy on. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, you, we talked about this, uh, libertarian sort of free will where really, you really do have the ability to make all the kinds of choices in front of you. Yeah. And you talk about this, uh, the second one determinism, which is everything's just plotted out. You're, you think you're making choices, but it's not real. Yeah. And, and then we talk about all this middle ground and, and you mentioned, um, kind of a soft determinism. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people say limited free will, which may yeah. be a little different, but fall into kind of that middle of the spectrum where yeah. most of your choices really aren't choices, mm -hmm. but somewhere in there, maybe there's 3% or 5% of your choices that you can actually make. I, I think at least on the onset, one thing I would want to say is that um, when it comes to libertarian sort of free will, like you really are making all kinds of choices all the time. I think the science would argue against that. I think that's oh, the yeah. one we could easily put mm -hmm. down and not spend a ton of time on and go like, Hey, the data came back. There's tons of research. The reality is if there is free will at best, it is to some degree, extremely limited. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you, I you agree with that. Oh yeah. 100%. We're on the same page. Yeah. Most, most people they just disregard libertarianism because the only evidence for it is that feeling. And as we know, feelings aren't really good evidence. <laughs> no, we'll get into some of that research where feelings just don't mean crap in this, in yeah. this area. And so, yeah. So as you said, like it's um, the soft determinism or limited determinism, they're trying to figure out like, if it exists, what does that look like? And um I mentioned Schopenhauer already, but I kind of want to illustrate this. He, um, in a, you know, a small phrase, a, a, most of these quotes are going to come from a book he wrote called, um, pull it up, called On the Freedom of Will. And 
he he has he has an awesome quote. It says, "Man can do what he wills, but he cannot will what he wills." And so that's that's kind of you know if you're gonna have a, a pithy you know brief statement, that's that's how you would uh, quantify what a soft determinist. Yeah, views and uh, man, I'm. I, it takes me to a place where, and I know we'll, we'll get towards the end of this conversation, we'll get there, but I want to at least preface it there. There is this worry that, okay, if there isn't any free will, like uh, why bother doing anything? Yeah. And, and the reality is that whatever, um, whatever decisions you make today will give you a completely different possibilities, potential capabilities tomorrow. And that's real, right? Like mm-hmm. if I, Again, I'm going to say choose, but at least the illusion. If, if, if I if I follow the illusion of choosing to listen to a podcast today on being a better human being, mm-hmm. I'm going to put more tools in my tool bag to show up tomorrow. Yeah. Now, you may not actually have the choice, but for instance, if you sit and listen to this conversation, something hopefully is sparked within a person that they now have some extra access to something that their potential to choose differently, and again, not choice, but their potential to make uh, to to do a behavior in their life tomorrow has the potential to be different. So it's not like you and I are saying like throw in the towel, you're just going to wake up and the rest of your life's going to be exactly the way it was going to be anyway. No, as you participate in the world around you, I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things I've learned in the last five years is to, I don't meditate, but I do take in the, the uh, conclusion of meditation, which is to learn to be present, right? Mm-hmm to learn to be aware of the moment around you, to not just be so inside your head with past and future, but to be present right here. And I find that that learning that tool helps my life change completely different in a a better way day to day. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think most people that follow meditative practice recognize that sitting down and just breathing and being present isn't the only form. There's walking, there's doing the dishes meditation, there's yeah. eating food meditation. You know, as long as you're being present and aware of your moment, that's, that's you're meditating. Meditation. Yeah. Um, so on what you were saying, I think, I think our concept of what humans are um, isn't exactly accurate to what we really are. I think it's, I think if we look at ourselves more as programmable biological computers, I think we'll get a better grasp of the type of things of what it is really to be a sentient human being. Um, Because, you know, you have a computer, you can upload a program, you know, the matrix style. If you want to look at it like that, you can upload the knowledge of flying computers or of, you know, martial arts. Um, and, And that's the way I look at us in this deterministic world. It's like, yes, our, our freedom of will is very limited, but that doesn't mean we can't learn and grow and become different or better people. Right. Right. So, no, hundred percent on board. Yeah. So <clears throat> one, one of the major problems, the people that, that reject determinism have with it is, is one of the major implications. And so I'll try and set this up um, in a way that, um, that makes sense for a member of the church or those that have, that have left. Cause that's the majority of our audience, I'd say. Um, the the idea of of this deterministic world it it frees us of our ability to choose if we look at it like this we have no power over our ability to make any choices so can we be held accountable for our actions if we didn't choose them 
So to to put it into perspective, you know, the we've all heard many of the stories or, the, you know, the complaints against the church or church leaders saying X, Y and Z, you know, a, a racist comment or, you know, having offended or hurt someone. If they couldn't choose not to or choose to act in that way, can we hold them accountable? And if it's a deterministic world. You can't you can't hold someone accountable if they didn't make the choice. Yeah. And you can go to extremes like uh, murder or exactly uh, pedophilia. Right. And you go to those extremes and you say, if their inclination. So, so for instance, a serial killer, I've said this before on, on podcast, I, I'm going to guess you've never th- really planned out how to kill somebody. I mean, not today. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and I've got one guy in my life who bullied me to death at a moment in my life where I eventually got to the point where I'm like, dang, man, wouldn't it be easy just to take him out and have him not bother me anymore? Yeah. But outside of that situation, I've never contemplated taking another life. In fact, I, I feel like life is precious and I don't want to even come close to anything that approaches hurting somebody in that way. Right. And, um, yet serial killers can't stop thinking about it. They can't stop pondering it. They can't stop plotting it out and planning it. And some of that is nature. Some of that is nurture, but either way they couldn't help it. Mm-hmm. And so here they are in this moment thinking thoughts that you and I don't even think. Exactly. And, and so how much control does a person really have? Yeah. So yeah. so if we're going to maybe not a great comparison, but if we're going to look at um, some of our wills or our desires, if if um, I'll, I'll reframe it and say desires, um, someone has a desire to murder or to commit whatever the atrocity is. Um we could relate that to our taste in food as well. Someone who likes chocolate didn't choose to like chocolate. Someone who likes coffee or dislikes coffee didn't choose to like or dislike coffee. But we go out every morning, we buy our cup of coffee and we drink it and it tastes great. I never chose to like coffee. And so these people that have these inclinations, they never chose to want to murder people. Yeah. They never chose to want to have the desire to commit whatever the atrocity is. Yeah. And, and people think that's crazy, but the research shows, I mean, you, you're aware of these, I'm sure, but there are stories where um, somebody gets like a brain tumor, right? Yeah. They're, they're a perfectly healthy acting uh, citizen in society. They are productive. They're responsible. They don't have, they have a clean record. Suddenly they get a tumor in the wrong place in their brain and they start uh, not only having thoughts that they've never had before about hurting others, mm-hmm. but they actually carry out the, the action of hurting someone else. Yeah. And, and they couldn't help it at all. And so they go in to see the doctor. I mean, they've been charged. Uh, they've been caught when the, the person says, Hey, I can't, I can't help it. Like I never thought this way. And suddenly I do. And they send them in for an MRI and these are documented cases, mm-hmm. send them in for an MRI and they've got a tumor in the wrong spot. They take the tumor out. And the person's perfectly normal again. Yeah. And then, you know, three years later, the tumor starts to grow again and they're right back to thinking those thoughts again. Mm-hmm. To me, and- that's a clear cut example that we don't exactly have the control. We think we do that. If you change the chemicals, you change the pressure in the brain, mm-hmm. you change what gets in or what gets out. And suddenly you have a completely different kind of human being. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, uh, philosopher and she she's i think she's like a neurologist and a philosopher her name is patricia churchland she's done a lot of studies in this exact area and for those interested um go and look her up she has some really cool um 
studies on this specific thing, brain tumors that change people's behaviors. And she actually uses it as a way to defend um, a soft determinism, but in a way to say that the things in our mind are our responsibility. However they got there, but the ones that are in our mind are our responsibility, regardless of their source. Uh, anyway, but so so those interested in the um, that, that in, oh I'm gonna push back and like how can somebody yeah. be res- how can somebody be in other words we're gonna send somebody to prison for 25 years to life because a brain tumor made them do something they never would have done without the brain tumor yeah I I don't know it's, I I can't get there yeah no it's it's tough and and there are some significant implications on our prison reformment systems on on the way that we live our basic lives. And I think the way I look at this and I, I'm just kind of spitballing here a little bit. Um, <clears throat> when we, when we look at ourselves as like individual people, instead of like as a whole society of human beings, I think we get, we get away from what the purpose of morality is. And I think morality is, it evolved with us. You know, we are social primates and it came about as a way to protect the young and then to protect the family and then evolved you know, to this, this massive scale. I mean, there are so many humans out there. So when we look at it on an individual level, it can be daunting um, and almost like unwarranted for the sort of punishments that we put out there. But if we look at it as, as society trying to maintain a moral system and protect the group, maybe there's a like a space where you could you could fit some sort of punishment in this determined world but that's the only way that i could rationalize that sort of a thought i can't remember what country it was it might have been canada but there was a country that did the research on its prison inmates all in in their system and they came to the conclusion that it was demonstrable that about half of them had some sort of brain traumatic brain injury brain trauma some type of something that had changed the makeup of the brain um, you know, whether it be drugs or some other thing, but they, they concluded that half those folks had some sort of difference in their brain than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And that, that contributed to what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty dramatic. And I think wherever you stand on, you know, prison reform, when you understand the nature of reality, I think there's some significant changes that need to happen with the way we, we rehabilitate those that, that go into, um, that go into the prison systems anyway. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of the problem. And I think, um, I can, you know, long way to, to get, get to that, but those that push back against determinism, they're trying to find out if there is a space for moral responsibility on an individual level. And so it's kind of exploring, what does that look like? Um, and so again, I'm going to do another Schopenhauer quote because he's awesome. Fantastic. Um, and this again is from on the freedom of will. And he says, he's kind of explaining this problem of, of even if it doesn't come from us, how could we even make the choice? And he says, I can do what I will. I can. If I will give everything I have to the poor and thus become poor myself, I will. But I cannot will this because the opposing motive has too much, has the opposing motives have much too much power over me for me to be able to. On the other hand, if I had a different character, even to the extent that I were a saint, then I would be able to will it but then I could not keep from willing it. And hence I would have to do so. 
Yeah. And so he's, uh, he's kind of balancing both this determined idea of our will with the character or the type of person that we are. And like a mixture of both of those two things are what determines the actions that we take. The video I watched last night said um, belief plus desire plus temperament equals outcome. And we think in our, in our very limited way of, of kind of processing a mathematical formula, we think like, Hey, there's, well, there's the one belief and there's one desire and there's one temperament. And hence here we are. The reality is we human beings have got, what do they say? Like millions of neurons and trillions of, you know, things going on in the brain. There's a, there's a million beliefs in your brain. Yeah. There's a million desires in your brain. There's a million temperaments in your brain and they change moment to moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so to, to sit there and go like, okay, if I just change this one belief and I can change that one behavior, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've all been through those in this ex-Mormon space. We've been through that dramatic shift in belief, but that didn't alter our character. And so you could, you could make the case that yes, you know, the ideas in our head are different and, those different ideas are motivating us in a different way, but our character didn't change. And so we were always going to make those choices. We were always, you know, if presented with the difficult history, we were always going to come to this or that conclusion based on the type of person we are in the place that we were. Yeah. um, I I think, and maybe you don't agree with this then. I think that very rarely do people do like, as you're pointing out, significant kinds of character changes. I think it does happen, though. Yeah. And I think when it does, almost every one of those folks can point to a very specific moment where the way they were doing things, they were confronted with the fact that it's not working. And they just, you know, they came close to losing their life. They came close to going to prison. They came close. Maybe they went to prison. Maybe they attempted to take their life, whatever it is. And then suddenly like, oh, that's not working. I'm going to do something different. And then as you do something different, you start to sense like, oh, this, I'm more happy. I'm more this. And so you keep getting the results you actually are seeking. And so then, but I think for the most part, you're nailing it. You are who you are. You were born into this life with predispositions to Mm -hmm. certain things. Uh, For instance, somebody said on Facebook a day or two ago, what is the most overrated band? And I put the grateful dead and, uh, and I had about four or five people go like, man, you're full of crap, Mr. Real, you know? (laughs) And I said, look, man, my brain, I've, I've listened to 20 of their songs. I love music. I, I can put myself in a different headspace and listen to those songs. And um, I just can't dig it. It just feels like everybody likes these, this grateful dead. You're all deadheads. And I just don't know what you guys are. It just sounds like a, excuse my language. It sounds like a shitty band to me. I, you know, yeah. so, so we're all different and you can't mm-hmm. get there. I couldn't yeah. listen to grateful dead. No matter how much I listen to them, I can't get there. Yeah. And that yeah. wasn't a choice you made. You didn't sit down and say, no, no, no. no. I tried. I wanted like to them. like them. I heard everybody <laughs> bragging about them. I wanted to be a deadhead yeah. and I listened to it and I thought, man, this is just crappy music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. And, and those, those that are in this space of compatibilism, it, you'll see as we're going further in, dis- in this discussion, like agency, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's a lot of nuance for those that do hold this, this sort of yeah. space. Yeah. Sit in a conversation with your friends and you guys sit in a party and you all laugh with each other and you think like, man, we all get along so well. The sense of humor we have is all compatible. Mm-hmm. And then go ask your friends who their top five favorite stand-up comedians are. 
And almost assuredly, at least one or two of them are going to be people you can't stand. I got two yeah. friends who we laugh at everything together, but they like this comedian who does like ventriloquism and puppetry. And I tried, <laughs> I tried watching it. I couldn't, I didn't even laugh. Like it wasn't funny. People, um, the, the Holy grail, um, what's it uh, called? Monty Python. Monty Python. I, I know it's got a 98% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I've watched it. Don't laugh once. It's oh, just man. not funny. I love the Monty Python. Yeah. Life of Brian. Oh, all their stuff is I so tried. Great. I tried. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's interesting because when we talk to other people, you know, it's it's one of those quirks of society, but we don't ever stop to consider that nobody in this group of friends made the choice to like or dislike whatever the subject. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. No. Um, so I'm going to jump to a different philosopher and this one was Hume. And and so Hume was a couple of generations before Schopenhauer. Um, he, he, uh, and this is from an inquiry concerning human understanding, uh, published in like 1740. So there's like a hundred years before Schopenhauer, um, and a small phrase, but he says by Liberty, then we can only mean a power of acting or not acting according to the determinations of the will. And so a lot of these philosophers were grappling, grappling with this idea. Mm-hmm. And so they recognize nothing is in our power to choose to want to do something or not want to do something, to like something more than another thing. But what we do have the power is acting or not acting. And, and what they're trying to say is that, you know, there's a measurable way of where we could say, you know, everything I want to do is out of my power but I do have some sort of measurable ability to achieve those things that I want or not achieve those things that I want. Mm. Um, I don't buy it. And only, only because again, you put this in your outline, but it's stuff I was aware of as well. And, and maybe I'm stealing all of your data points. No, so. no, you're good. You're, okay. you're totally fine. Um, we were talking about this off the air before we came on, they've done research where they give people kind of a random task. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, to click a button, whenever they want to click the button. Right. Yeah. And so um, they had a way of measuring when the person first had the thought of clicking the button Mm -hmm. and they were able to measure when the brain actually made the decision to click the button. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that people 300. The third part is they, they were supposed to look at the clock and remember when they made the decision. So they could contrast when the person consciously thought they were making it and yeah. the brain scans. Yeah. And what they found was that subconsciously your yourself makes the decision like 300 milliseconds before your conscious brain knows it's making a decision. Yeah. And and that has that has ramifications. Now we can debate mm-hmm. whether that really puts the death knell into into free will, but at the very least you think you're reasoning out a decision and something else is going on that the decision isn't within reason. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not in reason, something inside you subconsciously makes a decision. So at least on some level, you're, you're not really, you know, you think like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm you know, what, I'm going to go Italian tonight. That's where we're mm-hmm. going to go. We're going to go to the Italian restaurant, but 300 milliseconds before you thought that mm-hmm. your, your brain already made the decision. It's not connected to consciousness. And so you and I off the air were talking about if it's not a conscious decision, then is it is there really free will if the decision's being made unconsciously? Yeah. 
I think I think the majority of our decisions fall into that category or decisions. You know, we'll put some air quotes there. The majority of the things that we do, we're acting like these these biological computers. We're just we've got these inputs and these impulses and we just follow exactly what's being said. Um, now, interestingly, so Benjamin Leaped was the guy that uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I probably butchered that. He did that experiment back in the 80s. And there's been a ton of experiments that they've done since then. Um, he actually didn't come to the conclusion that it was evidence for hard determinism. Um, he held the view that we have impulses, but that we have the ability to suppress them. And so, um, again, it's, it's like, this was conclusive of the fact that you can, you can almost watch these decisions being made before they're being made consciously. Um, but he was in the camp that even if you had this impulse, you could suppress it. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's where, so you'll, you'll hear this expression of free won't. And that's kind of the idea of, of this concept. It's like, you can have this will to do something. You can have the desire to murder or to do whatever the atrocity is, but you have the ability to suppress those desires. Yeah, but we don't we don't know. We we couldn't even begin to understand our reasons for why we didn't do the thing that our brain told us to do. In other words, you came to this moment having a genetic predisposition, uh, a life experience. Um, your ancestors experienced a ton of things. And we know now that on some level. There is something about memory even that's passed on to in yeah. DNA Genetic to your memory, descendants, yeah. right? And so that way, because the we we've done tests where we know the children born to a woman before and after a trauma happened to her react to the similar stimuli differently. Yeah. Um, so when you come to a moment, so let's say for instance, um, um I, I want to get something more mild. Say you're 25 years into, I'm 25 years into a marriage, 25 mm -hmm. years into a marriage and, you know, things are dull at the moment. I want to, I'm, I'm thinking about cheating on my wife, right? Like that argument, whether I do or whether I don't, no one could even comprehend the pros and cons on each side of a list inside my brain that are helping me to not or to make such a decision. And so you, when you come to every choice, whether you go to the grocery store and you normally buy uh, whole milk. And today you decide to get skim milk and you go like, I want to be healthier. And your reason for coming to, I want to be healthier is there's a million other things going on in your brain experience. No, something that you watched that morning, some conversation you had last week, mm -hmm. um, the, you jumped on the scale a month ago and you didn't like it. It's uh, finally new years. <laughs> it could be a million things. And you, you're not even consciously aware of the million complexities added into the decision that caused you to do the thing you did. And the argument, again, I'm, I'm, I recognize, I should say this too. I recognize that there are good arguments on both sides, that there yeah. is some sort of limited free will and there's no free will. And so I'm not here to say like, Hey, it's conclusive. You guys yeah. are wrong. There's no free will, but rather to make note, like you couldn't even begin to comprehend all that goes into your decision. And because you can't know it, you, um, I'm trying to think there was another example that we shared earlier. Uh, the computer. Yeah. It, 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 there's a cool thing out there called um, artificial art. Um, I forget yeah. the, the right. And so you can go buy one of a kind paintings that a computer created. 
Mm-hmm. And that computer, the computer every time spits out a new painting. Yep. And it looks like that computer is using free will and blending whatever its algorithm is. It's blending things together and it comes up with this painting today. Mm-hmm. And yet, if we rewind the tape and we start over at the very beginning again, it's got all the same algorithms. It's got all the same options. It's got unlimited potential. It could do anything. Yeah. If we if we reset it to that moment, it would produce the exact same painting again because it's a computer. Mm-hmm. And as you pointed out in the beginning, to some degree, we are computers. Yeah. Yeah. And we think there's um, agency in how we end up doing something, but perhaps just like the computer, we've got this very intricate, complex algorithm mm-hmm. and we're not really making a choice in that moment. It, yeah. it feels like it, but it's not. It does. And so I, th- I think we're on a space where we can agree that the majority of our decisions are determined. The majority, our will is determined. Mm-hmm. We don't make any choice there. And minimum, minimum. And the majority of our lives are, um, they stem from these determined wills that we have. Yeah. So where could it exist? And so here's here's an interesting thing. And so I'll present a couple of different um, couple of different options. And uh, again, this is this is one that Schopenhauer talked about. I do, I didn't uh, I don't have a citation for this one, but it's in that same book um, uh, on freedom of of thought or on freedom of. Uh... Anyway, I've said it before. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, it's when we have competing interests. And so I'll put this into terms that our our um, our community might might be familiar with. When we when we decided to leave the organized religion, when we made the choice that that Mormonism did not work for us, we had these competing impulses. We had for ourselves, it did not work, but we have this innate desire as social primates to fit in and to be part of the group. And so we have these contrasting ideas in our head. You know, I cannot make this work. I can't live by these rules. It doesn't make sense. I must fit in with my group. I must fit in with my family. I must fit in with my spouse or my kids or my parents. And so one of the spaces that, that it could exist is in this, this determination we make on how do you make that choice? What goes into it? And yes, everything around it is determined. You know, all these impulses, these desires, we didn't choose to love our families and want to be, you know, accepted by them. We didn't choose to, to suddenly stop believing in the, in the religion that we grew up in. But then we have these competing desires and how is that choice made or is it a choice? And so it's, it's examining what spaces could agency still exist. So maybe in the moments where the push and pull are absolutely equal. Yeah. And then maybe those are the moments we procrastinate, <laughs> right? Maybe those are the moments we push it off and say, I'll figure it out tomorrow. Yeah. Hey, I have ADHD. So procrastination is like a daily thing for me. So, <laughs> but I, I agree with you though. It, it would, I think in the moments where literally, and, and again, you couldn't know, you couldn't even know which moments those are yeah. because again, there's so many unconscious things that are, present that contribute to the decisions mm-hmm. you're making but in the moments where it's absolutely equal you yeah. feel just as passionate right now about mint chocolate chip ice cream as you do about pistachio ice cream mm-hmm. and you don't have a single nudge one way or the other and you make a decision yeah in those moments maybe there's free will yeah maybe it maybe it exists but again i i don't like the word free will because it's not free from anything 
No, it's affected and, by a billion things. Yeah, and so I I like the way that a lot of these these philosophers talk about it is they just refer to it as the will. The will. Yeah. Or you know. It, yeah. And I was going to say too, people need to grasp. Again, we're not saying you're not making choices. You are. And it, it, it's not a matter of going like, oh, there's no choice here. I'm just going to do the thing I do. It's no, you're making choices. It's whether you are, whether you really do have the ability to choose multiple things, or if we rewound the tape to that moment, would you just make the exact same decision again? Because all the factors would be the exact same. Again, billions of them that you don't even comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another space that, um, that it could exist. And this is, um, it's funny. So the, the example that Carrie used in the show was actually one that soft determinists use to make a case for free will. Uh, again, free will is the wrong word, but it's <clears throat> the, the example she gave is someone who decides to stay in their room all day. They're sick or whatever the motivation, they just want to lay in bed the whole day. They're going to skip work. They're not going to go outside. They don't know the door is locked and they can't leave the room but they've still decided to stay in bed and they never touch the door. They never learn that the door is locked. Is that a choice or not? They didn't know that they couldn't choose otherwise, but they still made the choice and never learned that they, that it wasn't a choice. Yeah. That's, that'd be like if I was trying to pick between two restaurants, I chose the Italian restaurant, but little did I know that the, uh, that the sushi place was closed that day. Exactly. Right. So there wasn't a choice available, but in my own head, I thought I was still had an, yes, I still had a, a choice. Yeah. And if you think you have a choice, but you don't, do you have a choice? Yeah. And so, so from this, this type of an argument, if someone wanted to leave the room and couldn't, they don't have a choice. No. But if someone wanted to stay in the room, not knowing they couldn't, then they did have a choice. They're creating a choice where there was none. Exactly. Mm. And like so it. it's the same sort of thing where you could look at the people, you know, in prison, we've used the murder example. We'll kind of go there. Um, someone who has this desire to murder is locked in prison and can't make the choice not to murder anymore. Right. Yeah. And so no. it's, but they had the choice to murder before they were in prison and that's what got them in prison. Whether or not they were able to or not, in their head, it was a choice. Yeah, it goes back to that Mormon argument of the more you make bad choices, the more limited your will is, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was always put on us. Like, as long as you do choose the right, you always have all the choices available to you, which isn't Mm -hmm. true, by the way. But (laughs) that's the argument Mormonism would make, is that you still have all the choices available to you. And the moment you start making bad choices... Society and the world at large begins limiting your choices, hence you reduce the amount of will that you have. Um, but as you both, you and I both know, also making good choices limits your will in other places too that you don't yeah. know about. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not as cut and dry as, as it's presented. Right. If you rob a bank today and get caught, you can't rob banks anymore. But if you never rob a bank, you could always rob a bank. Exactly. <laughs> I guess it depends on how good you are at that. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so banks have gotten better. I wouldn't recommend it. That's true. They that's don't true. have much in the drawer and they've got a lot more tools at their at their disposal. Yeah. So <laughs> a uh, a modern philosopher, his name's Dan Dennett. 
he um he you know all this stuff that we built on is kind of a lot of the foundational stuff for most uh, com- uh compatibilists or soft determinists they look at this and they recognize yes it's determined yes we have very little control but in those those places where we choose to stay in the room and we don't know that we couldn't have made another choice there seems to be a measurable ability of will or of agency and he uses the example of um a frisbee and a bullet we all we didn't choose to want to avoid a thing you know someone fires a gun at us or someone throws a frisbee at us we didn't choose to want to avoid them but we do we want to avoid both the bullet and we want to avoid the frisbee one we have the ability to avoid and one we don't and and in that measurable space where we do have the ability to follow our will that's where agency exists mm. Yeah, but I I would still say your brain makes a decision on whether to get out of the way of the frisbee. Like the bullet, yeah. I agree with. The, the frisbee, you either get out of the way or you don't. You try to catch it or you don't. Your athletic mm-hmm. ability, you know, your dad sucked at sports and you suck at sports, <laughs> right? And uh, and so you can't catch the frisbee and it hits you right in the head. Uh, you try to get out of the way, but you're clumsy. Like you again, I also don't think that's really a choice. Like you're brain makes a decision and you carry it out. Let me say another thing too. We are, as you pointed out earlier, we're primates. We're part of the, mm-hmm. the ape family, right? The monkey yeah. family. We're great. And, apes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we, if we can back up, you know, a hundred thousand years or 200,000, whatever it is, there comes a point, if we go back far enough, we, there comes a point where we are something not human mm-hmm. and we haven't invented language yet. Um, we humans, like every other thing, we feel things. Um, even trees, for instance, they yeah. they recognize something in the environment's change. So they turn their leaves a certain direction so that they can catch more moisture. Right. Mm-hmm. So even they sense something. Yeah, we we sensed things. Um, but the story we gave to that, the thoughts that come in words or pictures like that is a later thing. It's, it's not, mm. we haven't always had that. Yeah. And so we humans have sensed something before we were human. We sensed something and we behaved, we did whatever it was we did. And it's only the modern human being who has the constructs of conscious, that consciousness yeah, gives us such as language. So in my head, I go like, yeah, you know, I wonder if I should go to the park today. Well, you know, maybe Gary's going to be there and you know, I come up with all these stories, but really, mm-hmm. What's way more innate is a feeling somewhere, sensing something inside of us and just acting. Yeah. And, you, and again, I don't know if this is connected to what we're talking about or not, but just notice uh, to the listener, just notice as you go through life, you think you see something, you think of the story that's connected to the thing you saw, and then you feel things. And I think the reality is, at least in some part, it's backwards. We feel things and then we assign a story to it. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of will is this reasoning things out. Let me reason it out. And we may not recognize it, but the ability to reason something out is super modern. And we humans or less than human, we did we did the same things. We tried to get our needs met. Mm-hmm. We tried to survive. We, we, we had evolutionary mechanisms, which caused us to perpetuate ourselves in language is kind of the last layer on that. And we were doing most of this stuff long before language came. Language may just be 
the brain coming up with a way to justify the things mm. we do and yeah. not really be connected to the things we do. Yeah. I I think at least the way I'm interpreting this and, and our perhaps disagreement on this is, is a difference in understanding the language around these things. Um, I don't have the will to choose what I want to do or don't want to do, but this agency or this will does exist in a space where I'm acting on this desire to survive. Even though that's innate inborn, that is my agency. Yeah. And you can yeah, measure the ability of someone's ability to choose and, and act. I, I think it's just a language difference. Like uh, we're understanding these words yeah. a little bit differently, yeah. but I, I don't think that we disagree. Mm-hmm. In, so either. Yeah. It's um, and so a lot of these philosophers, they're grappling with these same ideas. This has been a concept that people have struggled to make sense of. And I, as you said, it's only because we're self-conscious that this is a problem. Yeah. You know, when we look at the animal kingdom, you know, we, we don't ascribe a morality to the animals in the way that they behave to each other. It's just that's just how they act. Um, but when we have this self-awareness, we as humans have overcomplicated the whole subject. And I think this whole debate on free will and determinism is trying to like frame us in a way it's like no no no. we are part of this world you know you could even make an argument that this whole earth is one organism oh bumped my mic sorry this whole earth is one organism and we are just an extension of that like our free will if you will is just the way we interact with the rest of this organism and it's not it's not free from reality it's not free from the motives to survive and all of those things and so it's it's this agency is just us acting not that it's free from anything. Yeah. Hence the illusion of free will. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Well, I don't think it's free. And I don't think that most soft compatible or soft determinists would say that it's free. Yeah. We're, I keep using the word because it's so important to the religious construct. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, the other thing too, just to hit on, it, it, it seems like it's kind of this loophole where we go, oh, okay, it's, it's a little limited. And I think you and I are making the argument like it's not just a little limited. Yeah, it is extremely limited mm-hmm. to the point where out of every thousand choices, you think you're actually making free of influence and not just free of influence, free of like you like, OK, like this thing I could do this thing. I'm not as pulled towards. So I'm going to choose this. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to go with the thing that, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to throw, you know, go balls to the wall today. And I'm just going to ride a hot air balloon, even though I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> right. The reality is out of every thousand choices you make, when we say limited free will, I think we're saying like out of every thousand you think you're making where you really could choose one or the other. You'd be lucky if maybe once or twice you're actually able yeah. to choose one or the other. Yeah. And in all of these instances that we're talking about, they're like big decisions. They're things where all of the, you know, our motives might contradict each other. And, you know, the, the agency is, is how we determine which motive to follow. Um, so I think it exists, but it's like, it's, it's very, it's very small, very, very yeah. limited. It, even if it's not completely constricted, yeah. even if there is limited will, yeah, it, I don't it still is going to be a problem. The reality of how limited it is is still going to yeah. be a problem with religion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, the best way I'm trying to find it's it's not it's not 
in a vacuum. Agency is not free from this causal world that we exist in. It's part of this causal world. And so our, our agency is based on all of these outside external things that influence us. Um, but it's, it's the part that's here inside us. After all of these things have come into us, agency is, is our acting on those desires that were giving given to us. Yeah. Um, when we were going to talk about, and I, I want to kind of bridge maybe at least kind of move that direction, but, um, the way we're talking about this, and again, I've said this kind of in different ways, uh, folks need to recognize, like, let's say you're given a decision of whether you stay in the job you have or whether you take this other opportunity. And we all understand, like, we can't really plot out risk and reward. There's going to be unknowns. And so maybe yeah. staying in my current job was the wrong decision. Even if I choose to do that, maybe taking the other job would have been better. And maybe if I take the other job, maybe in two months, I learned that my boss is a jerk and I'm miserable and I would have been happier staying in my old position. And the argument we're making today, we're saying like, ah, just, you know, just, just do it. Just make a decision. And, but the reality <laughs> is you stressing over the decision is one of the factors that leads to the decision. Yeah. And even if there isn't any will mm-hmm. in a choice, the process by which you go to think you're making a decision plays a part in the actual decision you'll end up making. And so to bridge to the idea that the illusion of free will, maybe we all should hang on to that, whether yeah. or not it is real. Yeah. And this is, this is why I grasp onto this idea of being like a programmable computer. You know, if, if I want to change the type of person I am, I just upload a better program. You know, I upload, I learn about morality and I've, I'm suddenly uploading this better system of determining right from wrong. You know, if I want to understand a subject better, I read a book, you know, I've uploaded more information. I, I feel like we're much more akin to computers than, than we realize. And we act almost the same way. You know, you put all this stuff into a computer, you hit run.exe and it does this, this action. And if we are self-aware and we have the ability to choose <laughs> what programs we want to upload, you know, if, if you want to be a better person, just change the programming. And that's kind of this idea of therapy. And this is the, you know, back to the whole, this whole prison reform thing. You know, if we want to change these criminals, we need to just upload better programs. You know, we need to identify what is, what is going on in their heads and, you know, upload an empathy program, you know, whatever it is, like we are programmable in a way that's, that's really unique. Yeah, we could. We could do things a lot different. Sam Harris makes the argument that once you understand the argument that there is no, no free will at all, that everything is maybe determinism. It, it has you having a different approach to people who have done serious wrongs. Like I, I had, did an interview with a geneticist once and I was, the whole point of the interview was on Mormon discussion. It was about uh, being lesbian, gay, transgender. And I, I had listened to her give a talk at Sunstone where she showed all the data on the screen, all the science that's being done. And she said, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Being straight or being gay, lesbian, being uh, cisgender versus you know transgender, whatever it is, those things are either genetic or epigenetic. 
And we know this by like finger length, for instance, right? Like if your if your ring finger is shorter than your pointer finger, you have a 32% higher chance of being gay, right? Uh, if you're the fourth son in a family rather than the second son in a family, you have a statistically higher chance of being gay. And so we had this long conversation where I'm trying to help the audience understand that these things are genetic and hence we can't argue them from a point of like, these people are making choices. We got to the end of the conversation. I said, I want to ask you one more thing. I may keep this on the record. I may keep it off, but I find that believing Latter-day Saints often want to go to the um, slippery slope argument and go, well, if we're going to allow people to be gay, then we're going to have to allow people to want to uh, uh, marry children or to have uh, intimate relationships with animals. Right. And that's nonsense because we bring in a thing called consent and that slaughters the whole thing. <laughs> but I said, I don't want that argument. I don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. Can we talk for a moment about whether uh, pedophilia? It's a false, equivalent. a, it's a false equivalence. It though, is. But. It is. Um, whether like pedophilia or bestiality is also genetic. And she said, Bill, I'm really sorry to tell you. And I actually didn't include this because I didn't want yeah. I didn't want to mix up what I thought was a really serious issue that we need to move on. <laughs> And give fuel to the fire for people who want to make the slippery slope yeah. argument. But this geneticist said it's absolutely genetic or epigenetic. Genetic mm. meaning that sperm and egg get together. DNA uh, already has a predisposition to those things. Mm-hmm. Epigenetics means that sperm and egg come together and other chemical processes happening in the mother's womb yeah. contribute to uh, changes in the outcome. Yeah, the way it's developing and growing. Correct. Yeah. And she made the argument. She's like, no, the science says there's no ifs, ands, or buts that these things are epigenetic or genetic. And what that means is that I need to have some level of not tolerance by no means, but empathy that that human being really is doing the best they can in that moment. And what it does is it tells us how we would we would have to change our thoughts on like a yeah. punishment system. Mm-hmm. You can't really punish somebody who's not making a choice. Yeah. What you can do is you can distance that person from people they could harm and you can approach trying to rehabilitate them differently. Yeah. And Sam Harris makes the argument that once you understand that's really how things work, you actually have a whole different approach that actually works better at caring for um, and rehabilitating folks who simply as they are cannot be within range of people they could hurt. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There, there are so many implications on the way we treat each other with this. Um, we, we like to ascribe meaning to, to, to someone that harms us. But when we recognize that they didn't choose to want to harm you, it, it's, it's yeah. a really delicate subject. Yeah. 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 It, it gets at lots of things. I mean, you know, forgiveness and whether, whether when someone else hurts you, if you hang on to it, it's actually doing damage to you. It's not really hurting them Yeah, in that way. I mean, there's other ways it's hurting them if they're in jail or prison or having to live with the shame or guilt of what they did. But, mm-hmm. but it does, you know, once you understand like people really come to each moment, honestly, and they're doing the very best they can. And yeah. at best, at best, will is so limited beyond our comprehension. Yeah. It maybe suggests we think about how the world operates in different ways. Yeah. And and I don't want this to minimize the trauma or harm that someone has gone through. Um, Because, because that's real. It's very real to experience those things. Um, The, the change that this may or may not um, 
create in someone is the way that they look at the offender, um, perhaps with a little bit more compassion. But again, I, I don't want, I, I know that this could be triggering for, for I know. some listeners. And so I, I want to be sensitive to that. Yeah, totally get it. Um, yeah, we probably should have said something before I went into that. I just, <laughs> That's okay. There's That's so okay. many implications and they're real and they're serious. Yeah. And um, there's just a lot that goes into the subject being. a little bit. And so I just kind of wanted to throw totally. out that. Thank you. Know, you. We recognize that there's trauma and we're what, what those, what pe- yeah. when people do wrong things, they're doing wrong things. Yeah. yeah. And it's causing lots of hurt and consequences that no one, the victims didn't ask for. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I don't know, kind of zooming out big picture, like I said, we're one species. And when we look at ourselves on an individual level, we we think about it differently. And this whole debate on free will is really zooming out and it's it's examining that we have these morality systems that as a species, they try and control and maintain the group in a way that's going to make it, you know, act in the best way to continue the group to, you know, propagate and, you know, speciate and make more of the people. So this is really zooming out. I'm not I, I, the, the subject of, of free will. When you zoom in on the individual level, it kind of gets sticky. Yeah, Totally. Totally. I'm on board yeah. with you. Yeah. So I, I don't know that we came to any new conclusion on the subject. I just I just think there's a lot more nuance to this subject of agency than than most people think. Yeah, and I, you know, that Cara Burrell uh interview, that conversation we had, you know, where people going like I'm not convinced. Um Again, I'm not here and I don't think you're here to convince anybody one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I would simply say, you know, you and I having a conversation around some of this entertaining kind of tangents of this argument. um, You and I don't we're not, you know, we're not informed enough. I'm not going to say we're not smart enough. I'm going to say I'm not smart enough, but we're (laughs) not not either. So we're not informed enough to sit here and go like, look, it's clear cut. Here's the data. Here's where you should fall. The reality is there are really good arguments. In fact, they're so good that this issue is constantly debated yeah. because there isn't a clear cut answer. Well, it's been debated for hundreds of years and yeah. we still and we haven't gotten have an answer to yeah, it. Still debated because the <laughs> argument is right there on that line of maybe there isn't and maybe there is, but it's extremely limited. Yeah. And so I would simply say, if you're listening and you're going like, I want to know more about it, but I'm just not buying what these guys are saying. Like, fine, like go, go on YouTube and, you know, watch three or four videos on it. So most of them are 10 to 15 minutes long mm-hmm. and they'll pose different points of view and different examples. And maybe you can kind of sort out where you really do fall, but where you fall being naive of the information is simply not real. It's really yeah. a matter of being informed and then going like, what's, what's the steel man argument on both sides and where do I fall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think that there's not a lot of real strong evidence for this libertarianism idea that we mm. talked about at the beginning. It's, it's, it's more dumb. recognizing the causal nature of reality, you know, cause and effect. Can there exist agency within this reality that we live in? And yeah. it's trying to find if that space exists, where does it exist and what does that look like? Yeah. And, I, and again, I, as I pointed out in the beginning, I think Mormonism at least somewhere along the way kind of got a little uncomfortable because it, it started off always in all of its manuals, its curriculum, calling it free will Mm -hmm. or free agency. Yeah. And in the last decade and a half, it has changed its curriculum to only say agency. Yeah. 
Well, and so there's something interesting going on there. Yeah. The easy question would be is like, what is it free from? Yeah. It's not free from consequence. Mm-hmm. It's not free from outside influence. Like what is this free will free from? Like yeah. what is will free of? <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anything. <laughs> and so I think the, the, yeah, the idea of free will as it's typically presented doesn't exist. So you have to, it's the debate of where does will exist? Where do you really have the choice and you really could have chosen a different thing than the thing you chose? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're all locked in this world together. So <laughs> just like we're locked in the room, can we make a choice? Who knows? No. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I can say where I fall. I'm probably closer to the really every choice you made was really in that moment when you understand all the processes going on and all the influence that's on you. It, you really would have always made that choice in that moment. Yeah. And that comes down to character, which is separate from yeah. Agent like agency and will. Yeah. So if you're the type of person that would always do the nice thing to their neighbor, you're always going to do that nice thing to your neighbor. Yeah. Unless something big happens to you that causes you to no longer care about your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's all I got on the subject. I mean, I'm good, can, my friend. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. There's mm-hmm. so many, there's so many great resources out there. Um, yeah, Schopenhauer on the freedom of will. If you're interested, David Hume, um, an inquiry concerning human understanding. Um, maybe look up what a professor has said because these their writing styles um, might not be easy to to understand. But uh, some great resources out there to understand this debate because um, it's been going on for a long time. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll load this up to to YouTube and uh, I'll send you an MP3 file. And I just got to cool. say, Scott, to your to your listeners, um, I'm just really honored to be working alongside you and to have you uh, kind of within our entity. You're, yeah. you're putting out great content and uh, you're facilitating incredible conversations where people on both sides feel a safe space to listen and to work out the things you're talking about and the reviews to your podcast have been just phenomenal. I so appreciate congrats. you saying that. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a fine line to walk, uh, being able to push back against someone's idea, but also respecting the person. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually just recorded an episode yesterday on this very subject where just because you disagree with someone, you can still like them there will always be people that hold a value or an idea that you disagree with. Always. There there will never not be someone who disagrees with you. And there will never, there will never not be a time where you believe something and that thing turns out to be not true. (laughs) It's yeah. Yeah. History. Every one of us believe things adamantly Mm -hmm. that, in the end, the reality is those things weren't true. Yeah. 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 And so it's kind of holding space and compassion for someone that you disagree with. Yeah. So, Amen. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, this was a great chat. I, I, I thoroughly it. enjoyed it. Good, good. Have an awesome day. And yeah. uh, to the listeners of Rami Umptum Ruminations, uh, yeah, Scott's putting out great stuff. So I'm glad you guys found it. <laughs> well, thanks, Bill. Okay. Take it easy. Yep. You too. That concluded my chat with Bill Reel. 
on the subject of free will. Did we come to any sort of conclusion? Maybe not. Was it an enlightening discussion? Oh yeah, it was. I love having discussions with someone who might lean differently than me on an idea, where if you gathered, Bill leans a little bit more on the determinism side, where I would lean a little bit more on compatibilism. But as we said, the verdict is still out. It's not something that philosophers or scientists have really been able to prove. So again, huge thanks to Bill Real for giving me his time and chatting with me on this subject. It was such a fun conversation to have. If this is content that you enjoy, if you like my podcast, please take a moment to review it, to put five stars, because I, I don't want you to put four stars or three. Five stars sounds great. <laughs> put uh, five stars on there and share it with a friend so that we can get the word out and we can spread this to a wider audience. Thank you so much for listening today. And wherever you find yourself, I hope that you have an excellent day. <laughs>